It blesses me a lot to uh, uh, see this many turn out to hear about uh, a little book that uh, um, is truly one of the sticky pages of the New Testament. You know, we came up with the name sticky pages because that's the portion of the Bible that we just don't go to very much. And so the first year we did sticky pages, we taught uh, three or four of the minor prophets. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't hang out a lot in the minor prophets. Blake Holmes does. That's why he's a New Testament guy. I'm sorry, an Old Testament guy. Um, Then the next year we did the book of Revelation. How many of y'all do devotional readings in the book of Revelation? Not many. Well, um, I actually do hang out more there, so that was really fun. And then last year, we did the ultimate Sticky Pages book, the book of Leviticus. And, uh, um, you know, wow, Leviticus is definitely still sticky, okay? But uh, it was a lot of fun to dive in and see what the relevance was uh, of the book of Leviticus for us uh, today. And so this year, we're back in the New Testament, and I thought it would be fun to take the four one-chapter books of the New Testament, starting with Philemon, um, and uh, um, just see what God has to say in those little books. Um, when Wagner was talking uh, with the staff about sticky pages, uh, um, he called them postcards, and uh, they really are. If the other uh, New Testament letters are indeed letters, these are just little postcards. And I love the fact that I'm going to be able to put on one single slide the entire text of uh, each one of these books that we're going to study. Now, you may not be able to see them so well, so that's why you have your Bible here and you can look in your own Bible. But I promise you, there will, the entire book will be uh, up there. And, you know, what's different about this study is that we're going to be able to read each one of those books before we dive in. Okay? And so now I've given just about everybody a chance to get seated. Uh, I guess I ought to introduce myself. My name is Bobby Crotty. I serve as the men's equipping director. And while I still feel like a new guy on staff, because for 30 plus years I've been a trial lawyer, and for now it's actually going on, I've started my eighth year of being here as the men's equipping director at Watermark. And uh, um, I hate to tell y'all, but I was a lot better trial lawyer than I am a pastor. Um, but I love to study the word and, uh, um, I have had a great time studying the book of Philemon. And so I hope that, uh, you're in store for a little treat tonight as we digest this postcard from Paul. So let me pray for us and we'll get rolling. Lord, thanks for the opportunity to open your word to places that we just don't go very much. And so forgive us for that, Father, but uh, uh, encouraging us by uh, just opening our eyes to be able to see the power of life transformation is captured in the book of Philemon. And thanks for each one of these folks giving up a perfectly good Thursday night as we want to invest in knowing your word better. That blesses me in a big way. So thanks for this opportunity. Thanks for these folks. And uh, may we do this to your honor and glory, Father. In Christ's name, amen. Um, were any of y'all baptized this uh, um, past May? One, two, three, four, five. Okay, so forgive me because I'm going to use some of the same things that I did uh, for the baptism class. But I love the song, Live Like That. 
It's by a, a group called the Sidewalk Prophets. And I think it is particularly pertinent for the book of Philemon because there's a line in there that goes, am I proof that you, meaning Christ, uh, are who you say you are? That grace can really change your heart, um, change our heart. Do I live like your love is true? And this book, while it's not a book that teaches um, doctrine and uh, um, is a, a doctrinal treatise like the book of Romans, it is all about Paul living out the truth of God's word and how love transformed him, transformed Philemon, and also transformed a slave named Onesimus. It's a great book that y'all are going to have a lot of fun in studying. Um, this slide right here um, that we have up, this little photograph, anybody know what it is? I've got a Journey t-shirt for you if you know what this is. A coin? No. It's kind of like a coin though. A seal? What kind of seal? Not a king seal. Yes, ma'am? Um, not a seal from a ring. Anybody? Going once? Journey t-shirt going twice? Say that again? A gravestone? No. That's a good, that's a good guess, though. Kind of looks like a gravestone. Any other guesses? There we go. That's worth a Journey t-shirt. You can have gray or green. Okay, so uh, we've got different sizes up here, so you can change sizes afterwards. All right, so it is, whoops, let's go back. It is a medallion that a slave wore around his neck, okay? And so do we have any Latin scholars here who can translate that for us right quick? Um, I don't know what it says. Uh, for I, all I know, it says, eat at Joe's or something. Uh, um, but this was a medallion that a Roman slave would wear around his neck. Okay? And so we are going to deal with Roman slaves, and I thought it was only appropriate to start with that. Okay, so here's our overview. Philemon this week, 2nd and 3rd John next week. Uh, and, uh, I'm sorry, 2nd John next week, 3rd John um, the 3rd week. And last week, we'll be doing uh, the book of Jude. Okay, so this is summer. This is the start of summer. And so there's no homework for this, but I know sitting out there, there's some overachievers. And so if you really want to overachieve in this class, you can just read that book next week. Read Second John. I don't know if y'all uh, read along on the journey, but a, a couple of days ago, Melissa McKee did a journey, and she's turned 30, and so she's doing a number of things to celebrate her 30th year, and one of them on her bucket list is to memorize a book of the Bible. And let me tell you that these four books are candidates for uh, satisfying that challenge, okay? So the book of Philemon has 25 verses, but Second John only has 13 verses, Okay, and so I want to throw out a little challenge to you. If you will memorize the book of Second John or Third John or any of these and come up here and say it the last night, you will be well rewarded. 
Trust me on this. Okay? But you got to come up here and you got to say it right. Okay? And uh, of course, we certainly deal in grace and we will leave it to the decision of the judges whether you did it right enough. But that's a challenge. You can memorize 13 verses over the next four weeks and, you know, you will be uh, um, celebrated at Watermark. But you got to be willing to come up here and say it from memory. Anybody willing to take that on? Okay, so get ready. Uh, We'll give you a chance to do that the last week. All right, so Philemon tonight, let's dive into uh, that. And as we do, um, I don't know if you've been to a Sticky Pages class before, but this is a slide that I always like to use because in the process of studying the Word, we want to be... um, Um, what's the word I'm looking for? We want to be uh, careful to be good students of the word. And so um, with the journey, we talk about a six-step process for studying the word. And the first thing we do is to determine the context because each passage has a historical, a cultural, a literary, and also a theological context. And we'll talk about that for the book of Philemon. And then we want to gather the clues. Those are the who, what, when, why, where sort of questions. Uh, And those are the opportunity to ask, what is the main idea of this passage? And what is said about the main idea of the passage? And then we want to compare and contrast this book, this scripture, with other scripture to help us understand it. Okay, And we'll do some of that tonight. And so those are the first three steps that we do, and those are steps for you to do on your own. You can use resources to help you with the context sort of thing, and then obviously you use other parts of Scripture to compare and contrast, but the gathering of the clues is something that you need to do on your own. Okay, does that make sense? Uh, And so we ask you to do these first three steps on your own and to exhaust your ability to understand the passage because the more you read the passage, the more it starts to click. I'm going to show you several word pairs that just struck me after about the 10th or 15th time I read the book of Philemon that you started to see how these words related to each other, okay? And so these first three steps are steps you need to take on your own. And the fourth step is to then consult outside sources. So before you really do anything um, where you're looking at what other folks say, you really want to determine as best you can the first three things on your own. And so obviously we want to stand on the shoulders of folks who have devoted their lives to studying these books. And so I brought with me several books that will help you do that sort of thing, that will also help you determine the context and whatnot. So here's a book called Talk Through the Bible by Bruce Wilkinson and Ken Boa. It's a great overview of each of the 66 books of the Bible. And so as I was starting Philemon, I started right there. Here's another great little book. It's called New Testament Survey, and it's written by Mark Bailey, who's the president of Dallas Seminary, and also Tom Constable. Again, it's an overview of each of the books of the New Testament, and there's a companion volume for the Old Testament. Um, It's a great way to dive in as you're approaching a book at the uh, outset. Um, 
many of you may know about Dr. Constable's website. It's called soniclight.com. It's something that I use regularly because he has done verse-by-verse study on every book of the Bible, and it's available on the internet for free and available for you to use, soniclight.com. And this is also, um, Dr. Constable was one of the co-authors of this little volume. The Bible Knowledge Commentary is another great uh, resource that is easily uh, accessible to laymen that just says, hey, here is a basic commentary that covers every book of the New Testament, and there's a companion volume that covers every book of the Old Testament, okay? Um, I read the um, little uh, chapter on Philemon here. It was only like three or four pages. I like those kind of commentaries, okay? So, Um, The Bible Knowledge Commentary is another great place to start when you get to step four, but we don't start with the Bible Knowledge Commentary first, okay? We don't want to know what other people say about this until we have allowed the Holy Spirit to illumine our eyes and help us figure out what is this letter all about. And then finally, I use this little uh, volume It's called Titus and Philemon. It's by a guy named Edmund Hebert. And interestingly enough, uh, it was only uh, after I had read it that I realized that Dr. Constable quotes from this little volume a bunch in his Sonic Light commentary on the book of Philemon. This is a great little commentary. And later on, I'll be asking a question where I'm going to give this away. Okay? So... um, Actually, I'm not going to give you this one. This is my underlined one. Uh, I'm going to keep that one, but I have another one uh, that uh, uh, I'll have to uh, give you as well, okay? All right, so then the fifth and sixth things uh, as part of our study are to draw conclusions, and we're going to do that tonight um, in table discussion. And then finally, the rubber meets the road when we commit to take actions, okay? Conclusions are the universal principle that the passage is trying to teach. And when we commit to take action, we're asking, is there an example to follow? Is there a sin to avoid? Is there a promise to claim? Is there a prayer to repeat? Is there a command to obey? Is there a challenge to face? Okay? So we're going to do, in some form, uh, just about every one of those steps tonight as we look at the book of Philemon. But if you will do these steps in even a mechanical way as you start uh, Bible study, those steps will become just uh, instinctive. And every time you open the Word, you'll start looking for the context and trying to determine the context of uh, the particular verse that you're reading or the particular chapter or the particular book. And you'll look at the clues and you'll Uh, Think about scripture to compare and contrast it with, and you'll consult outside sources and draw conclusions and then commit to take action. All right, and so let's get to the book of Philemon. It's a little hard for y'all to read, but you have um, a Bible with you, I hope. And so we're going to actually just read the book of Philemon right quick. I'm reading from the ESV. It says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, 
to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not uh, be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a little while, or for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but now much more, uh, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything at all, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand, I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends, you, uh, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. How fun is it to be able in a Bible study just to read the entire book right there? That's pretty fun. And so as you came in, you should have picked up um, yours may look a little different from this, but it's a chart that I've prepared on the book of uh, Philemon. Now, if I was a really mean teacher or actually a really good teacher, I would have given you a blank chart and made you fill these in, okay? But this is summer, okay? So this is what summer's about, that we're putting the cookies on the lower shelf, and I've given you this little chart that I made to help me figure out what's going on in the book of Philemon. And we're going to do the same thing in 2 John and 3 John and also in the book of Jude. And so, gang, there is nothing magical about either the format of this or what I have put down. What is transformational is the knowledge and just the um, diving into Scripture I did to be able to put this together. And so I would say to you, forget this chart 
You can use the format. Um, if you'll send me an email, my email address is on the uh, very first slide that you have um, on your uh, little handout of slides, uh, watermark.org. I'll send you a blank one of these, and you can fill them out and use those as you study a new book, and it will help you make that book your own. That's what this study is about. Okay, it's not for me to teach the book of Philemon, it's for me to equip you to be students of the word, to take the word and let it richly indwell you and to inform the decisions that you make in your daily life. And so the power of this little chart is in the opportunity to do it. Okay, but since this is a no homework sort of class, uh, I did this chart. And so we start off with... uh, Paul is the author. That may uh, help a little of you to be able to see that. Um, The commentators uh, uh, are pretty universal in their uh, thinking that this was written uh, during Paul's first first Roman imprisonment. Okay, remember he appealed to Caesar and then he traveled to Rome and he was held under house arrest for a period of time um, that composed his uh, first Roman imprisonment. And this little book was written during that uh, time. There are three other prison epistles penned at the same time when Paul was in jail. Um, Somebody give me one of them. Raise your hand to do that because I will give out. Yes, ma'am. Luke, not Luke. Ephesians. All right, who said Ephesians? Come get a T-shirt afterwards. Okay. Did y'all tie? We've got t-shirts for both of you, okay? This is summer, all right? Yes, ma'am. Second Timothy is not one. Philippians is one, okay? One more. Colossians, there we go. So um, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon were all written during this same time frame when Paul was in jail. And we're gonna see that there's a lot of overlap in terms of personnel with, that are mentioned in the book of Colossians, especially. Okay? And so for purpose, you know, just from reading the book, you got the idea that, hey, all right, so something happened and this guy named Onesimus apparently had run away from this guy named Philemon, uh, although if we were in J- Jamaica, we might call him Philemon. Um, but Philemon is the way I, uh, I think it's pronounced. Okay, and so um, Paul writes this letter to Philemon as he sends Onesimus back to him to say, hey, um, accept this dear brother in Christ, not as a a runaway slave, but as your fellow brother in Christ, okay? And so uh, I had for the purpose, Paul appeals to uh, Philemon, I'm going to say Philemon now, uh, to Philemon to accept his runaway slave Onesimus as his brother in Christ. And Paul models the gospel in his words and actions. Themes, um, man, I love the first one, the transforming power of the gospel. Uh, And we see in verse 18, as Onesimus is transformed from bondservant to brother. And we're also going to see that transformation goes on in the life of Paul as well. Remember that. It's all about fellowship, about forgiveness. It's about reconciliation. I'd also throw in it's about ways of resolving conflict. How do brothers in Christ resolve conflict? 
Obviously, there's some pretty big conflict going on here. For an outline, um, verses 1 through 3, I called Paul's peace and grace greeting. Verses 4 through 7, and I put peace first only because uh, uh, I needed to have a P first, okay? Because grace really always comes before peace, and we'll talk about that. Then verses 4 through 7, Paul's prayer. Verses uh, 8 through 16, Paul's plea. Then Paul's pledge in verses 17 through 22. And then finally, Paul's parting grace in verses 23 through 25. The key idea is uh, the apostles' appeal, accept Onesimus as a brother and charge whatever he owes to Paul's account. There's a big phrase that we'll talk more about. I picked up uh, verse 18 is uh, my key verse. It says, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account, uh, Paul writes. Here's some key words that I saw. Um, you or your, and it's interesting, uh, it starts off the um, word you is, uh, uh, in the first couple of verses, is plural, as it's talking about the people to whom Paul is sending this letter. But then after that, it uh, changes to singular you, because this letter is all about Paul's interaction with Philemon. Okay, and then at the end, he goes back to a plural uh, you, right at the uh, uh, final uh, verse or two. Um, not surprisingly, Christ, Jesus, and Lord are uh, key words. Prisoner or imprisonment, brother, Paul, grace and graciously, bondservant. Um, those are all key words that we'll see. Here's some unique features. I'm not going to go over any of uh, all of them, but um, it's interesting that this is Paul's shortest letter. He wrote it entirely in his own hand, according to verse 19. Um, it's one of four letters that Paul wrote to uh, individuals along with First and Second Timothy and uh, uh, Titus. And we've talked a little bit about the close association between this letter and Colossians, and we'll talk more about this. In fact, um, there was a guy named Tychicus who delivered uh, Paul's letter to uh, the Ephesians and to uh, the Colossians. Uh, and uh, um, he accompanied Onesimus to deliver this letter to Philemon. We see that in Colossians 4, 9. Thank you, buddy. Oh, there we go. Um, um, okay, and so in the last part of the chart, we've got uh, um, just a little place for you to record in your own words the content to help you make that memorable for you. Okay. And then uh, uh, I always try to pick a key verse out of uh, each of the different little sections, and you can see what I did. Uh, And then for questions, I simply put things that I go, okay, so what are the questions or the interpretive challenges that you might have in studying this book? And so I wondered, well, who the heck are uh, Phia and uh, Aristarchus, or I'm sorry, uh, Archippus? And so, you know, in the uh, body of the letter, 8 through 16, why didn't Paul condemn slavery? And ultimately, what happened to Onesimus? And so we'll talk about some of these, and uh, we'll identify uh, who Epaphras and Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke are, okay? So again, this little chart is something to help you unlock the book, any book that you're studying. And I would encourage you to use these charts uh, until you have a chart for each one of the books of the New Testament. 
okay? And then start working on the, the Old Testament. Um, but let me tell you, the New Testament books are easier, okay? Uh, and the one-chapter books are the easiest, so it's a great place to start. Okay, any questions about that? Make these charts your own, though. Um, here's one to get you started. And if you attend all four weeks, then you're going to have four charts already done that you can start from. Okay? All right, so let's take a look at the cast of characters. Okay, so here are the three main characters, Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. And in the uh, cast of characters here, I have descriptions for each one of them that you can, uh, um, you can read this slide and you have it uh, in your handout. Uh, but I've taken these descriptions just right out of the text of the, uh, um, the book itself, okay, the postcard. And so Paul is Paul, obviously, uh, the author. Um, Philemon is, uh, again, uh, the person to whom he is uh, uh, writing. He likely was led to the Lord by Paul. And uh, Onesimus is the runaway slave uh, who's being uh, um, sent back uh, to Philemon and uh, is one that Paul describes as uh, my very own child, indicating that he too likely uh, led, uh, led Onesimus to the Lord uh, in, uh, while he was in prison. Okay? And one of the things that strikes me is the importance of community in this book. And so, in looking at the cast of characters, it just struck me that, hey, you know, Paul really identifies people with whom he is in community, and he also identifies people and sends this little uh, uh, letter to uh, the people that Philemon is in community with, okay? And it looks like I left out, oh, I got uh, Aphia up in the wrong place here. Sorry for that. Um, but Paul's community is Timothy. And then the people he identifies at the end of the uh, little letter, Epaphras, whom he describes as his fellow prisoner, uh, and Paul's fellow workers, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. And then Aphia really belongs down in uh, the uh, Philemon's community. Um, and uh, we'll talk about who she is. And then Archippus and uh, the church that meets in um, Philemon's house. Um, I think it was located in uh, Colossae, okay? And so um, the church itself would also have been an addressee of this letter, and this letter was likely shared with the church, okay? So we make a big deal around this place about community, and it's not surprising that Paul makes a big deal of community as well. And so he wrote his letters in community. He sent them to people uh, who were surrounded by community, and he encouraged that to uh, do the same things that we do today for accountability. Okay, so it wasn't just Philemon making the decision about what to do with Onesimus. We'll see how these uh, folks, Aphia and Archippus and the church, actually may have played a role in that ultimate decision. So when I start thinking about this book, you know, there isn't a bunch of doctrine being taught here like there is in the book of Romans that's all about salvation in the first eight chapters, okay? 
and how that salvation works out in our sanctification. But we do see in the power of this book to me is in the fact that we see the gospel being lived out. We see it being modeled. And we see it uh, in uh, how Paul emphasizes the grace from Christ and how that is a motivating factor for him, for Onesimus to be willing to go back and confront uh, his master uh, that he ran away from, and uh, um, how Paul is calling upon uh, Philemon to receive Onesimus back in grace as well. And then we see um, how Paul starts out as he um, uh, commends Philemon for the way in which his love for all the saints had refreshed people literally all over Asia Minor, okay? And so we see love towards the saints being expressed and how we are to refresh each other. That's how we're to get along here at Watermark and here in the city of Dallas and here in the United States, that we are to have a love for one another. And as we compare and contrast scripture, it makes me think of John thirteen thirty four, where Christ said, I'm giving you a new commandment that you should love each other and that by that love, people will know that you are my disciples. That's what we're called to do uh, is we live out uh, life here uh, in Dallas, Texas. Uh, they are to know us by our love for each other. And then uh, we see this imputation, the idea that uh, Paul says, hey, if Onesimus owes you anything, if he took anything wrongfully from you, charge that to my account. I'll pay that. I'll repay it. He writes it in his own hand. He legally binds himself to repay Philemon anything that Onesimus might have taken from him. And that is a picture of the doctrine of implication, of uh, imputation. And um, where do we see that? Well, we have been the beneficiaries of that because our sin and wrongdoing has been charged to somebody else's account. And we'll talk about that. And then finally, the substitutionary atonement, where Paul steps in, where Paul had no obligation, where Paul was not at fault, but he steps into the middle of Onesimus' situation and says, I'll repay that. And we all know as we sit here that we've had somebody do that for us if we've put our trust in Christ. Because the debt that we owed was nailed to his tree And he paid the penalty for my sins and for your sins. And so we see that idea of substitutionary atonement um, in our own lives, but we see it in this little book as Paul says, I'll repay that. Okay, so some big ideas uh, in this little book. And so here are the word pairs that just struck me, and I want to quickly go through these. And some of them explain each other. Others of them uh, may add some information, tell you more. And some of them are contrasts. But it just struck me that, so in verses 4 and 9, we see Paul describing himself as uh, a prisoner. And then we see some of the things that have happened, like Onesimus coming to the Lord during his imprisonment. We see grace mentioned, and then ultimately we uh, see Paul's uh, hope that he will be graciously given uh, to uh, Philemon that he might be able to come visit him uh, 
when he's released from uh, uh, prison. And then we see love and faith uh, in verse 5, and we see how that is directed towards uh, the Lord and all the saints. And we see the word sharing and partner. And you might think, well, how do those fit? Well, they actually come from the same root word, okay? That Think about it. Uh, what is a partner but someone who shares life with you? You know, my wife is my partner, and she shares life with me. We see that in this little book. And um, here's an obvious one. Uh, we see how uh, Onesimus, I'm sorry, we see how Philemon uh, refreshed all the saints by his love for them. And then we also see Paul using that same word to say, refresh me by doing the right thing here. We see uh, um, the idea of uh, a command that Paul says, hey, I have the authority to be able to command you to do the right thing, but I'm not going to use that. For love's sake, I'm simply going to appeal to you to do the right thing. We see the words child and father in verse 10, where Onesimus is described as Paul's uh, um, own child, and he literally says, I gave birth to him in prison. And then we see a, a play on um, Onesimus's name, which means useful. Uh, we see a play on that name, a uh, play on words uh, in verse 11, where he's described as he was formerly useless uh, when he ran away, but now he's being sent back that he might be useful. And he might be useful not for just a little while, but forever. And we see how a bondservant becomes a brother. And we see how... Um, Paul says, charge that to my account and I'll repay it. And then he talks about how uh, in verse 18, he uses uh, the idea that if Onesimus owes you anything, um, that Paul says, I'll repay it. But hey, don't forget that you owe me your own self because I led you to Christ. And then finally, Paul writes in verse 21, he talks about he's confident of uh, Philemon's obedience, but he says, knowing that you will do even more than I say, that is true confidence. Okay, so now let's go through, open your Bibles if you don't already have them open to Philemon, and I'm going to just give you a few nuggets on each one of these verses as we go through. And I hope that that takes me about 20 or 25 minutes, and then we're going to do some table discussion about the application piece of uh, the book of Philemon. So in verse 1, it's unique that Paul describes himself as uh, Paul, a prisoner uh, of, for Christ Jesus. This is the only uh, Pauline letter where he describes himself as a prisoner. And he makes uh, reference to his imprisonment at least five or six times in the book. And we know that he truly was a prisoner of Christ because he was in jail solely because of his allegiance to Christ. And he was there regardless of the cost to himself. We've talked about uh, community and how Paul writes in community. And we see in the first verse that Timothy joins in sending that letter. It doesn't mean that Timothy was the author, but it simply means that Timothy, Paul uh, talked with Timothy about it, and Timothy stood by everything that Paul said in the letter. And so he writes in community. And interestingly, uh, he designates Timothy as our brother. And that reminds Philemon that all believers in Christ are brothers or sisters. And it sets the framework for his plea to Philemon that he would receive Onesimus 
as a brother in Christ. And so why do you think Paul doesn't identify himself as an apostle as he does at the beginning of seven of his 13 letters? For equality level, okay. Because what does he say later in the letter? And he says that uh, um, I could command you to do this, but I'm going to make an appeal to you to do this for love's sake. Okay? I think that's why he doesn't identify himself as a uh, um, as an apostle in picks the uh, humblest term that he could to identify himself as a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Okay? Um, Verse 2, we see uh, um, other folks in Philemon's community. Aphia is described as our sister. And I believe, and a lot of the commentators agree, that Aphia was likely uh, Philemon's wife. Okay, and she would have been important to write to because the wife in those days had day-to-day responsibility for the household slaves. And so she had uh, something to say about Onesimus, and Paul wanted her to be part of this consideration. Um, the uh, uh, scholars aren't quite sure uh, about Archippus, but they think that Archippus was likely um, Philemon's son. Okay, and he was also a leader in the churches in uh, either uh, Colossian, the Colossian church, or um, perhaps even the Laodicean church. Um, Paul describes him as our fellow soldier. And, you know, it's interesting that the practice of churches meeting in homes uh, was common until about 200 AD. And it was only after that that churches actually started meeting in separate buildings. So for this church to be described as meeting in uh, Philemon's home, it tells us, one, that uh, Philemon was a well-to-do guy, that he uh, had slaves, and that he had a house big enough to host uh, a church meeting. Um, So it tells us that um, it describes his uh, social status, okay? all right there in the uh, first two verses. And then I love uh, verse three. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this is the usual Pauline uh, greeting. It's almost identical to the greeting in six of his other epistles. Uh, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Not surprising that uh, uh, two of the other prison epistles would have the same greeting. And it's very... Um, similar to the other six greetings with only slight variations. Uh, But it's important to note the word order. Grace, then peace. The order is always grace and peace. It's never the reverse. We cannot know peace without first knowing the grace of God, without first receiving the grace of God. So in just those first three uh, verses, Paul does a lot to set the stage for what he's going to do in this little letter. And next he begins a a prayer. And it's interesting that every letter of Galatians uh, include, uh, I'm sorry, every letter of Paul's except Galatians includes an expression of thanksgiving in the opening. You know, um, 
Paul had some uh, hard things to say to the Galatians, and so he didn't thank those guys, but he got in their face right from the beginning, okay? Um, But this follows the custom in Christian first century correspondence that included a word of thanks in the salutation. And the words, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, are almost identical to the um, word of thanksgiving that Paul uses in his other prison epistles. You can check that out in Ephesians 1, 15 through 16, uh, Philippians 1, 3 and 4, and then Colossians 1, 3 and 4. And so in that, Paul tells when he gives thanks, always, to whom he gives thanks, to God, and for whom he gives thanks, uh, he gives thanks, and that is you, meaning Philemon, it's you singular. Okay, so in verse 5, take a look at how Paul is setting up his appeal to, um, um, how he's setting up his appeal to Philemon, okay? He says that uh, um, he hears of your, meaning Philemon's love and faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And so if Philemon loves all the saints and Onesimus is now a saint, how can Onesimus, I'm sorry, how can Philemon not love Onesimus? You know, it's a pretty compelling argument. And so if you were going to love all the saints, and this guy who once was your slave but now is a brother in Christ and is a saint, that simply means set apart one, um, how can you not love him as well? It's pretty sneaky. Okay, in verse 6, take a look at the relationship between fellowship or evangelism and the understanding of our blessings in Christ. The literal translation of verse 6 says that the sharing of your faith may become effective in understanding all the good things in you in Christ. And I really think that Paul is emphasizing the connection between sharing your faith and how this helps you become more aware of all the things, all the good things that you have in Christ as you tell others about that, as you give an account for the hope that's within you you become more aware of the good things that are in you because of your belonging to Christ. Uh, I love the word in verse 7, refreshed. It's a word that Paul uses again in verse 20. And not surprisingly, it's also a word that Jesus used in Matthew 11, 28. It says, come to me, all uh, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you refreshment. And that's what Philemon has done for all the saints. And so how could he not do this for Onesimus as well? Because ultimately, he has been refreshed himself by Christ. That sets the scene for um, Paul's plea, which is contained in verses 8 through 16. Here it is up on uh, um, the screen. And accordingly is really the word therefore. And you know, when you have a therefore in Scripture, you ought to see what it's there for. And it introduces the application of Paul's previous uh, words. And so he makes his plea on the basis of the, uh, his prayer in Philemon 4 through 7. And he addresses it to Philemon's love for all the saints and a desire to refresh them. Because here's what would happen if a slave ran away. 
The master would register the name and description with uh, Roman officials, and the slave would be on the wanted list. And any free citizen who found a runaway slave uh, could assume custody and even intercede with the owner. The slave was not automatically returned to the owner, nor was he automatically sentenced to death. Um, While it's true that some masters were cruel, and they cite an example of uh, um, one master who threw his slave into a pool of man-eating fish, um, but many of them were reasonable and uh, uh, humane. But here, pleading for forgiveness and restitution for Onesimus without a punishment uh, that was obvious to all, um, Paul was confronting uh, the social and economic order of the day head on. And so while he doesn't ask directly for Onesimus to be set free, even his, rest for, uh, his request for clemency for Onesimus hints um, that Paul was defying Roman tradition. And in doing so, he's really giving dignity to the slave class. He's saying, hey, these guys, if they put their trust in Christ, are just like me and just like you who also have put your trust in Christ. They are our brothers and our sisters, and they're not slaves. And yet, we're all slaves. We are servants of Christ. And so, Regardless of how you describe us, we're all at the same level. We're all at the same status. You know, Wagner is no more holier than any of us sitting in this room. Now, he may practice holiness uh, more conscientiously than some of us sitting in this room, and me occasionally, okay? But he has no status of being a senior pastor at a big church, His status is that he is a servant of Christ, just like you and I are servants of Christ. And that's the same thing is true in this little letter. I love verse 9. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you, even though I could have commanded you. It says, Paul, an old man. There is a phrase I can relate to, okay? And so back in those days, the old men uh, had authority and were venerated for being elderly, okay? They were considered to be wise, and they were considered to have authority. I think we should go back to that system, okay? Not because I'm old, um, but because it's just right, right? Okay, are you with me on that? I see a little gray hair sitting out here, okay? But you know, because of his friendship with Philemon, because of his apostolic office, and really even because of Philemon's own character, Paul could frankly have told Philemon, hey, you need to do this. But he didn't do that. He made an appeal to him. He preferred to use a higher appeal, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. And so he waives his rights as an apostle. This is part of the transformation that you see in Paul in this letter, okay? Now, he's not totally setting aside his position as an apostle, but he's saying in this case, forget the fact that I'm an apostle. I'm simply appealing to you as a brother in Christ. And he's going to call Philemon later on his partner, as your partner uh, in serving Christ, And so he makes this appeal uh, in a way that sets aside his apostolic authority to make it on the basis of, hey, 
It's you and me, buddy. We're pals. And so I'm asking you to do this for me. It's interesting that the very man through whom Philemon had come to know the gospel had grown old in the service of the gospel and was now in prison because of his service for that gospel. And these facts would not have been lost on Philemon. Verse 10, uh, we see the repetition of the word appeal. And it, uh, uh, the Greek word means to make a strong request, to implore, entreat. And, you know, Paul's repetition of the word gives it uh, special force. And I love um, in the, the Greek for verse 10, um, the word Onesimus is the last word. It's like Paul is saving that name for the very last word to give it uh, emphasis. But he first uses two introductory phrases in describing Onesimus uh, that indicates the closeness of Paul's own relationship with Onesimus. First, uh, he calls him my child. And actually, the Greek says my very own child or my own child. It uses an emphatic form of the uh, pronoun my. And then he says, uh, whose father I became in my imprisonment. And uh, the Greek word literally means to give birth to. And it's a picture of that he led this guy uh, to the Lord. And so, in describing Onesimus as that, Onesimus takes his place with Timothy. Check out 1 Timothy 1-2. He describes Timothy as my true child. Paul does. He describes Titus in Titus 1-4 as my true child. And now he describes... uh, um, Onesimus in the very same way. So he puts him on a status with these two well-known and well-respected friends of Paul. And he also puts him on the same status with Philemon, whom Paul calls my brother. Okay, and so that means that these guys are all within Paul's family circle of the guys that Paul has personally led to the Lord. Okay, and so... When we talk about transformation happening, think about this for Paul and the transformation we see in Paul here. So he's set aside his apostolic authority, but think about what he was. Think about, uh, um, I think it's in Philippians 3, where he lists all the things that he was uh, in terms of his status as a Pharisee and a Jew and a Hebrew of Hebrews and of the tribe of Benjamin and all those things. And so this one-time self-righteous Pharisee, the heir of Jewish exclusiveness, is speaking of a lowly Gentile slave and describing him as my own child. That is transformation. His heart has gone from one seeking to persecute and kill Christians to one calling a Roman slave my very own child. Wow, that is a heart change. You know, um, his statement in uh, uh, Colossians 3.11 that there's neither Greek nor Jew, bond or free, um, says the same thing in neither slave nor um, free in Christ. It's really no empty formula for Paul because he's sitting there in prison, he's talking about a guy who's a slave, and he's saying, this is my very own child, as he 
uh, has laid aside not only his apostolic authority, but he has left behind totally his claim to righteousness uh, under uh, who he was as a Jew. And it really reflects the attitude of the heart to which he himself has been brought by his relationship with Christ. In verse 11, Onesimus is a common name for slave. It means useful, uh, but Onesimus had not lived up to the meaning of the name. But now the gospel has produced a transformation in him, causing him to exemplify the true meaning of his name of being useful. And in fact, the, the words but now in verse 11 suggest a change resulting from his new birth. And interestingly, the name Philemon means affectionate or one who is kind. And, you know, if the slave was expected to live up to his name, shouldn't Philemon have to live up to his own name? Verse 12, uh, Paul understands the principles of conflict resolution. And that is that if you're in conflict with somebody, you need to go face them and deal with them face-to-face to resolve conflict. And you know, Onesimus' willingness to return to his offended master shows the genuineness of his conversion. And I love how Paul expresses his affection for Onesimus. Uh, He writes in the Greek, he says, this one is my heart. And again, he uses the emphatic form of the personal pronoun to make it really say, my very heart. That's what he thinks uh, and that's what, how dear Onesimus has become to him. And so here are three reasons why Paul would send Onesimus back to slavery. One, to have harbored and detained a fugitive slave would have been a violation of Roman law. And Paul, I think, was probably keenly sensitive to the scandal that um, Christianity might create if uh, it thus encouraged slaves to become fugitives. And so Paul understood for resolution, for conflict resolution to happen, it was necessary for Onesimus himself to return to his master. And so clearly in uh, um, making a decision to trust in Christ, um, he had uh, uh, asked for forgiveness of his sins, including um, if he ran away from Onesimus, I'm sorry, from uh, Philemon, including that sin that he needed to make restitution for the wrong that was done. But I love in verse 13 and 14 how Paul puts Onesimus on an equal footing with Philemon. And he says that both of you, Onesimus is serving in your place in serving me in my imprisonment for the gospel. In verse 15, I love the contrast between for a little while and forever. You know, the word forever underscores the eternal setting for the true relationship between uh, Philemon and Onesimus. And in contrast, the phrase for a little while, uh, literally the Greek says for an hour. Uh, It emphasizes the temporary nature of both the master-servant relationship and also Philemon's loss of the use of uh, um, Onesimus. In verse 16, Paul contrasts Onesimus' status as a slave with his new relationship to Philemon as a dear brother, thus placing again all three guys on the same level. And you know, even though Paul doesn't say a word against the institution of slavery as such, he doesn't interfere in the relationship, he does deal with moral and spiritual relationships. 
And while he doesn't make a frontal attack on slavery, he injects the dynamic of Christian love and allows it to transform the conditions of temporal servitude into a holy brotherhood. This is what one commentator said. And it was this principle that ultimately brought about the eventual abolition of slavery. If you want to read a great book about that, read Eric Metaxas's book on William Wilberforce, uh, a great read about how uh, Wilberforce played a key role in uh, securing the abolition of slavery in uh, um, Great Britain, motivated by the gospel and the desire to serve Christ. I love a couple of things that the uh, uh, commentators say about this. It says, uh, one of them said, the supreme work of Christianity is to transform men so that out of their transformed lives could come the transformation of all social conditions and the victories of righteousness and love. Another one said, the Christianity is not to help out, uh, not to help uh, a man escape his past and to run away from it. It is uh, there to enable a man to face his past and rives above it. That's what conflict resolution is all about. Um, next little part is Paul's pledge. And if Philemon considered Paul his partner in uh, service of the gospel, then he certainly should welcome Onesimus as if he is welcoming Paul himself. And you know, if Philemon ultimately rejected Onesimus, it would be just like rejecting the apostle. And so we see Onesimus, speaking of transformation, in the lowest social status in the Roman world, a slave with no rights is now on a spiritual plane equal with his owner and with the uh, leading apostle of Christianity. Verse 18 is interesting. By grace, Paul doesn't tell us exactly what Onesimus did. He doesn't castigate him for it. He simply says, if he's wronged you or owes you anything, then charge that to my account. He uses an accounting term and he puts it as a command. He says, charge that to my account. And then in verse 19, he says, I will repay it. And I love what one commentator said. He said, this generous act compares in a small way with Christ's substitutionary work on the cross. As Onesimus was in debt to Philemon, so sinners are in debt. They must pay for their sins against God. As Paul was not involved in any way in Onesimus's guilt, so Christ was sinless, separate from sinners. And as Paul assumed Onesimus's debt, so Christ took on himself the sins of the world. You know, charge that to my account simply means the same thing as impute it to me. And it's a beautiful illustration of biblical forgiveness based on imputation. And so it it makes me think of Colossians 2.14 that says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's what Christ did for us. And you know, that's what Paul is saying that he would do for Onesimus. Verse 19, Paul steps up and says, hey, I'm writing this in my own hand. And by saying that, he's saying, I am binding myself legally 
to pay, to repay you anything that Onesimus has uh, um, taken from you. So he voluntarily assumes the debt incurred by uh, Onesimus, and it's a beautiful picture of Christ, what Christ has done for us on an infinitely higher plane. Uh, The end of verse 19, you owe me your uh, very own self, hence that Philemon may have been won to the Lord by Paul and thus was obligated to him spiritually. And as I've said before, that simply puts Onesimus and Philemon on the same spiritual plane. Verse 20, we see again the words refresh in heart, brings back to mind what Onesimus had done, I'm sorry, what Philemon had done for all the saints. Now Paul is asking him to do um, for um, Paul. Verse 21 says that, hey, I know you're going to uh, heed this um, request, and, you know, I know you well enough to know that you'll do even more than I ask. Now, what kind of guy does that say that Philemon was? Paul knew that he would go above and beyond what Paul was asking him. That says a lot about Philemon. In verse 22 uh, um, is an interesting thing. He throws in this little, hey, I hope to come see you. Prepare a guest room for me. But it's really larger than the simple indication of an anticipated visit. It also would serve indirectly to reinforce his application in behalf of Onesimus. Because who would be willing to disappoint the beloved uh, Apostle Paul and compel him in person to see how little regard had been paid to his request. You know, again, uh, um, Paul was cagey. Paul was willing to use uh, all his persuasive powers to ask Philemon to do the right thing here. It'd be hard for Paul to show up and Philemon have to say, well, you know, Onesimus is still, he's still in the doghouse, okay? And then we close in uh, uh, verses 23 through 25 And I love uh, um, all the names that he mentions. I think that Mark is likely uh, uh, John Mark, the writer of the second gospel. Aristarchus is identified as a Macedonian from Thessalonica. Um, Demas is mentioned here. Um, And then interestingly, uh, if you read more about Demas in uh, 2 Timothy 4.10, apparently uh, Demas um, And Paul had a falling out, and Demas actually deserted Paul during his second Roman imprisonment. Um, You know, we can make bad decisions and suffer the consequences for those bad decisions, and apparently Demas made a bad decision. Um, Luke is likely the uh, uh, beloved physician, Luke, that's also mentioned in uh, um, 2 Timothy 4.11. Uh, and in Colossians 4.14, that's the reference I was looking for. Um, so um, Luke is mentioned in both Colossians and in uh, uh, Philemon. And Paul concludes uh, in verse 25, uh, he's concluded all his, um, thank you uh, for changing that. Uh, he's concluded all of his 13 epistles with a one-sentence benediction similar to the one we find here in Philemon. 
And uh, um, he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The you're in that um, little sentence is plural, again, indicating that he's talking about uh, uh, Philemon and uh, Aphia and and Archippus. Okay? And so it's great to note that he starts and finishes with grace. And, you know, the, the neat thing about Paul in this little letter is that he has modeled grace throughout in the way that he's dealt with um, Philemon, in the way that he's dealt with Onesimus, and just in the way that he has conducted himself during his imprisonment. And, you know, um, it would have been as obvious to Philemon, I think, as it is to us, that Paul definitely wanted a certain response uh, to his letter. And nevertheless, it had been equally clear that he was making this appeal on the basis of love rather than his apostolic authority. And I loved what one commentator said. He said, motivation promotes the self-interest of the hearer, but ni- manipulation promotes the self-interest of the speaker. And here, Paul is clearly motivating Philemon to do the right thing. Here's what Martin Luther said about Philemon. What Christ has done for us with God the Father, that St. Paul does for Onesimus with Philemon. For we are all his Onesimi if we believe. We all are Onesimus. And Christ has nailed our debt to his cross to repay that debt. I thought that was a powerful way to summarize this great little book. Okay, so we still got a few minutes left, and I want to take about 10 minutes and let you all discuss as a table. And so start by introducing yourself to each other if you don't know everybody. Uh, But then we want to talk about two things. And so if you were in that Colossian church when this little letter showed up, and if the New Testament had been finished, at the time that that little letter uh, arrived, what scripture would you use in counseling Philemon about what he should do? Okay, so talk about that as a table. And then finally, what are the takeaways for you personally or for you as a table from this little book? That's the so what. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's the application question that says, how do we take the universal truth of this little book and apply it in our daily lives in Dallas, Texas today? Okay, so take about 10 minutes to talk about that and we'll get back together in just a second. Okay, so obviously we could take a lot longer to do this, um, but... You know, this is the sort of question that we ask each other in our community group meetings, okay? We say, hey, I've got this situation. And you know, it's real easy for us to give an opinion, and it may even be a good opinion that's got good advice. But what we as a church want to do is to encourage all of us to counsel each other with Scripture, because that is the thing that's infallible. Okay, and so who wants to volunteer and uh, give us some ideas of uh, about, um, let's do one per table uh, that want to volunteer, a scripture that you would use in counseling uh, Philemon about how he should respond to Paul's request. Okay.
Hi, uh, my name is AD. I really just wanted to tell you the scripture and not talk about it. But, That's good. Um, Colossians 3.13. And, Which says? Um, it talks about as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. I'll get it. Yeah, we're, let's read them. But I like it. It says, bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Perfect. T-shirts for the whole table. All right? Now, I'll probably get some more volunteers now, okay? All right? All right, I see a hand over here. So Colossians 3.13 is a good one. Tell us your name. Oh, Mitch, uh, Mitch Maddox. Uh, so Matthew 6.14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Well done. T-shirts for this table. How many? Um, 14 and 15. Yeah, write it great big so everybody can see it. Okay. All right, here's another brave table. I like it how he raised his hands and then points to the other guy. Well done. All right, my name's Will. Uh, I was looking at um, Galatians 3, 20, uh, 3.26 through 28.9. Okay. Um, just about how um, that we're all children of God. Um, so in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. For there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor there is male nor female. For all of you, you are all in one Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So mostly that all, we're all on an equal footing with Christ and all, all children. Well God. done. I mean, I think that's a great one. T-shirts for this table. Um, Angie is the dispenser of T-shirts, so see her afterwards. Okay, well, last one. Yeah, we're probably out of T-shirts. Um, All right, tell us your name. Uh, I'm Hannah. Hey, Hi. Hey, everybody. Thanks um, for volunteering. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, so Don't be have, nervous. Your table is uh, eager about the T-shirts. <laughs> I hope. Sorry, guys. Um, I, w- I thought about Romans 12, um, 19 through 21. Okay. And it's, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I like that. That's a good one. I have a hard time with that one sometimes. So t-shirts for you guys. All right. So now let's, man, there is a ton of scripture out there that would be great counsel for someone who is in Philemon's position. And that's the same thing we want to do as a body of believers in Christ. We want to counsel each other with scripture. Okay. All right. So let's do the other one. What are the takeaways? This one's a little more personal for, for, for you from this book and how would you apply them in your life? All right. Mr. Lawyer, Will Repito. Hi, I'm Will. Stand up, buddy. Oh, You're in front of the up. judge okay. here. All right. Um, I'm going to bring my parka next week. I don't know about y'all. Um, Philemon 25, the restoration of Mark, um, after Mark's falling out with, or falling out with Paul, and uh, I think it's uh, chapter 13 of Acts. Okay, so um, just for context, um, remember um, Mark accompanied 
um, Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey that's in Acts 13 and 14. Um, but there was a falling out. And in Acts 15, we read that Barnabas wanted to take Mark again on the second missionary journey. And uh, um, um, Paul says, oh no, <laughs> au contraire, mon ami, not going with me. And so Barnabas and uh, Mark take off uh, in a, one direction and uh, Paul goes uh, on the uh, uh, second missionary journey with Silas, okay? Um, and so here we see later on, Mark has been restored and is being useful again to Paul. They have resolved conflict uh, themselves. So that's a good one. T-shirts for this table. All right. What other is a good takeaway? All right. Identify yourself, buddy. I'm Ralph Cade. And uh, what struck me was how Paul humbled himself during this whole ordeal and put himself on the level of, like you say, I could make you do this, but I'm not going to. And he, just, he was just humble in spirit. Um, I think that's a beautiful one. You know, um, he's the apostle Paul. He was born to privileges of Pharisee, uh, and, uh, or I don't know if he was born to it, but he came to privileges of Pharisee. He was thought of as a Hebrew of Hebrews. And, uh, it says, as to the law, you know, it says that he was righteous and he was all about that righteousness, and his zeal in persecuting Christians was of the highest sort. And yet, by this time, there has been such a transformation in him that he says, look, I set all that aside. Um, this table back here was looking at uh, Philippians 3, where Paul says, I consider all that as rubbish for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And he humbled himself in this letter to say to his friend Philemon that, look, I'm not going to order you to do the right thing, but I know you, and I know that you will do the right thing, and so I'm appealing to you for love's sake to do the right thing here. That's a good one. What else? One more. T-shirts for this table. Glad to see my summit group sitting up front. They didn't volunteer for any of these. Way to go, guys. I say, I say this, I'm not uh, naming any names, but they're sitting right there. <laughs> I'd say this, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, that they're always worthy of, of our grace and forgiveness to, to um, reflect the grace and forgiveness that we, we receive so abundantly. Amen on that. We have been forgiven much, and we should be willing to turn around and forgive others. Um, great takeaways from this powerful little book. All right, let me show you some of the, uh, I didn't do them as uh, statements, but I kind of did them as uh, um, applicational questions. So here are some of the ones that I asked. And so just as we've received grace, we're to extend grace to others. And so am I praying for others? Am I being conscientious to share the gospel when I have opportunities? Am I refreshing others in the way that I deal with them? And am I there standing in the gap? Am I really ready to say, hey, charge that to my account. I'll pay that for you. Other one, um, is my goodness out of compulsion? 
or from my own accord. Hmm, I've just gone from preaching to meddling there. Okay. Um, do I treat others as my bondservant or as my beloved uh, brother or sister in Christ? That one's a, a little too close to home occasionally. Does the grace of uh, the Lord characterize my dealings with others? And so how are we doing in resolving conflict? Um, and what can we learn from how Paul handled this situation? And I, I think that we see that he appealed rather than commanded. He sent Onesimus to face uh, the person that he had conflict with. And, you know, again, the fact that Onesimus went says that his conversion had transformed him as well. And he sent someone with Onesimus. Uh, I think that was the uh, uh, fellow called Tychicus in, uh, that's identified in Colossians 4. And in sending the letter, he appealed to Philemon's community, Paul did. He commended Philemon's love for the saints in his refreshment of them and asked Philemon to treat Paul and Onesimus in the same gracious manner. And then he gently reminded Philemon uh, that his relationship with Onesimus was eternal as brothers in Christ. And so, gang, is there life transformation happening with us? Because that's where it's got to start. And if... The folks in this room change, and our lives are transformed by the power of knowing Christ. You know, this church will be transformed. And if this church is transformed, then the people we come into contact with in our neighborhoods and at our workplaces and in our community will be transformed. And you know, if the city of Dallas were transformed, it'd have a transforming effect on the state. And if this state were transformed, it could have an impact on transforming this country, all for the cause of Christ. And you know, gang, I love the um, final principle, the idea that life in Christ should change every relationship that I have, starting with my wife, then with my kids, then with their spouses, then with the people I work with, the folks I come into contact with on a daily basis. This is a powerful little book that's all about the transformations that come when we are sold out to Christ and when we are willing to do whatever it takes to fulfill his will, even if it costs us imprisonment. You know, we would think that's a pretty far thing to ever happening here in this country. But if you've been reading the uh, papers lately, you know that could change overnight. And then are we willing to pay that cost for the privilege of calling Jesus our Lord and Savior? Okay, that doesn't make him our Lord and Savior, but it is evidence that we have made that decision to put our trust in Christ. And so finally, I want to close with, did Philemon set Onesimus free? Um, I love that little quote uh, uh, from... Uh, Edmund Hebert, he says, the fact of our having this epistle in our hands at the present moment is good proof that Philemon was not remiss in acting up to every intimation of what was to be expected from his friendship or love of justice. For our own feelings assure us that he would never have allowed such a letter to see the light of day 
if it was to exist only as a perpetual witness of his ingratitude and severity. And so I think the answer is pretty obvious that, you know, ultimately Philemon did the right thing. And we as followers of Christ are called to do that same right thing on a day-in, day-out basis. So gang, next week will be all about 2 John. It'll be a fun little book to dive into. Great one to memorize. You who are going to memorize, uh, uh, be working on it. You don't have to say it next week, uh, but you'll have until uh, week four, okay? And so if for no other reason, I would continue to show up to see if someone can actually do that, okay? We'll have other things to give away next week. And uh, it'll be a fun opportunity to dive into Second um, John. It's only 13 verses, but it is packed with fun information and, uh, again, a call to life change. So let me pray for us and we'll be done. Lord, thanks for the privilege of uh, reading this little book. And thanks for the example of Paul and of Onesimus and of Philemon, and the life transformation that has happened to them uh, because of their following your son. And so, Lord, it is our prayer that that same life transformation would happen to each of us in this room as we follow hard after your son. So thanks for these folks, and thanks for this time. Amen.